Welcome to Things to Know. I'm Luca, and on this show, we talk to the people that make the Thingdoms special. Today, we're talking to iconic community member, B-Love. B-Love has been around since the beginning and is most notable as the voice of the metaverse and host of Thing FM. I hope you enjoy this interview, but more importantly, I hope you learned something. Thank you so much for coming on today. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? I am uh, B-Love is what I go by. Uh, my name is Brandon Lovelace. I've been B-Love for a really long time. I think it started when I was a kid and I wanted to do magic tricks for my family. Um, but that's, that's who I am and uh, I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you again for joining us. Um, very familiar voice to a lot of the community and one that I'm sure people are very happy to hear on here. Did the magic career ever take off or did it kind of still know, going strong, at, honestly? At yeah, point? still crushing still it. Still going yeah, strong. No, uh, my parents went to Vegas and brought back like this magic coloring book for me. And I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And I think I was in fourth grade or something, but um, no, about fifth grade, I, I stopped trying to be a ma magician because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of nuances to being a magician, and I learned them early. Uh, in that, nobody just walks around wanting to see magic tricks, man. Nobody's like, hey, I'd like to see a trick. So I just have all these things I'm practicing, but nobody to share them with. And then finally, when you find the person to share it with, they're always out to get you, always. So they're like, I saw how you did that, and it's like, well, this isn't fun. Uh, so I gave up magic in fourth grade, um, but kept B-Love. And then fast forward, I was like uh, 23 years old, uh, touring in a bus with a bunch of dudes uh, around the world playing music. And I decided to pick up magic again because I thought it'd be fun to try it in the van. And uh, that brought me to a second grade magic show. Uh, that this lady asked me to perform for her class. So I went back to the beginning and performed for kids that were around the age when I started. And let me just be honest, I crushed it. Okay. And then I retired and that's how it ends. <laughs> Could they figure any of your tricks no. out? Because that was your major complaint. They didn't, in the that's the thing. Days, right? Yeah, that was my thing. Like they, no, they didn't care. They, they only cared about the magic. <laughs> and that's, that's the audience I'm always trying to find is, is, you know, if somebody comes up to me and they're like, do you want to see a magic trick? I'm always like, please. You know, if I see somebody with like um, an indention of cards in their pocket, I know they've got a deck of cards. I'm, I'll ask them first. I'm like, hey, let me see a magic trick. Because to, to me, I just, I knew what that was like whenever, even when I was in my 20s doing magic tricks, which I say this very lighthearted. I wasn't like a real magician, uh, but I did try and learn a lot of tricks. Um, but yeah, I will always play along. You will never see me, even if I know, and I typically always know how the trick is, I will play along the entire time and it's not playing along. I'm impressed by like someone's double lift or someone's ability to do that. So yeah, man, like they, they were super cool. It was the best audience ever. And I went out on top. I was like, I'm retiring from magic. Um, yeah, the best one was I had this, like a, uh, I had lipstick that you put on your finger. Okay. So I have lipstick on my pointer finger and then you grab a kid's hand and you like make sure that your finger goes underneath theirs. So it's like on their palm. So I'm holding their hand, rubbing this lipstick into their palm. And then I take the real lipstick and I like rub it on the top of the, the hand. And then when I'm done, I'm like, it's going to go all the way through and they pull their hand out and they look at it. 
dude, that, I mean, that was, that was, that was it right there. All worth it. They were just like, oh my gosh. So I can see why you didn't make it as a magician, because I'm pretty sure one of the very first rules is that you're not allowed to explain your job. Yeah. So, right. yeah, I, I can <laughs> understand why they didn't let you make the cut on that. Front. Yeah. But, um, that, that's a really crazy full story. Yeah. Um, full circle story. You did throw in something else there, which is that at some point you ended up traveling the world playing music yeah. uh, in a bus or van. How did you get to that point? What was your journey in music like? Um, what were some of the highlights of it, some of the lowlights of it? Yeah, I think it was a lot of uh, tenacity for me. I had a lot of energy to put somewhere, and thankfully when I was that age, I had somewhere to put it. I had a group of best friends, and we were all writing music together, and people seemed to like it. and Somewhere along the way, uh, management came along and a booking agent came along. And I, I think what's really nice is we knew we were in the good old days. We knew it. We're like, this is this is it. Like, we, we need to savor this. So um, it started because me and some buddies were playing in high school and we uh, played out a battle of the bands. I think we were like, we played screamo music. It was in 10th grade or something. But my, my dad had, had played music growing up. And uh, he's, he's a fantastic musician, but his dad had told him that he had to be, uh, had to go to school. He couldn't, he couldn't play music the way he wanted to. So he went to school, became a doctor. So went to a lot of school, like so much school. And um, I think he had like cover bands and stuff like that growing up. And, and when I was growing up, I'd go watch him play with his cover band and he would write songs uh, every so often. We had a we had a tragedy where I live in Oklahoma City. Um, the Murr Building bombing happened when I was in second grade, and my dad like wrote a song for for the people, like a like in a like a whole thing that like, got played on the radio and is a big deal. And I just remember seeing that and and seeing how much uh, music could impact people, whether it was to bring them joy, to make them you know laugh as comedy or to, to soothe a, a hurting soul. And, and for me, that was, that was really the first time I was like, okay, I, I see the power in this and I'd like to try and unlock it. So it's, a, it's absolutely because of my father. And when I started to learn to play guitar, like a uh, junior high or so, I, I just taught myself through, I mean, he taught me chords and then I come home and keep practicing. I, I wouldn't even eat lunch. Like I would, I would come home from school and just play guitar and sing and try and write music. Um, and I did that for like two years. So it, it all started because I showed an interest after watching him. And then basically anything that a, that a kid would have a, would have trouble trying to figure out because they're maybe trying to hide from their parents or they were trying to uh, live their own life, not their parents' life. I didn't have to deal with that. Like my dad was like, what do you want to do? Like, if you want to, you want to play shows, let me, let me teach you how to do that. When I got my first tour opportunity, uh, my dad, um, it wasn't, a, it was, a, I, I booked it myself. It was like, I called these venues. I was like, hey, we can come play for free. We'd love to. And we did like, I was in high school. I was a junior in high school and I had to miss, a, I had to miss some school for it actually. But he was super cool about it. Super supportive. And we ended up paying more money than we made. I mean, that's, that's how it works on your first, first ever tour. But yeah, I, I just think in a world where a lot of people try to make their children live their their life, the, the life that they want them to live, um, I was so fortunate to have a family and, and parents who were like, yeah, go for it. We support you. So I never had that. I never, it never felt like I couldn't do it. And uh, so, so I guess long story short, 
it started working when I think it was right after high school. I started real, like we were playing screamo music. We were playing music no one liked. Like my dad was like, I don't like this, but I like that you're playing music. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta make something that he'd be like, I like this. That would be, that to me is the ticket. So I think around college, we switched it up and, and started playing pop music. And he was into it. My, my mom was into it. Um, and I was like, okay, this could do something. So from there, we just got smart. And, um, you know, the, the way to get into the system is to prove yourself. And, and I called this uh, promoter who I really liked. He didn't know me at all. He was really influential and prestigious in the space. And there was this band coming that we wanted to play with. And I was like, hey, how do we get on that show? And he was like, ah, oh, man, that's, that's a really big show for your first show. And I don't even know you guys. And I just said, hey, we, we can sell as many tickets as you want. He was like, well, you'd have to sell probably 40 tickets at 20 bucks each. And I was like, cool. I was like, yeah, you know, I'll sell 60 if you'll give me direct support. And he was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I mean, if that works. And so he said, sure. And I took 60 tickets. And I'd been uh, working at Albertsons at that time, which is a grocery store. And I bought all the tickets. And then I gave them to all my friends for free. But this guy didn't know it. He just thought I sold them all. So I gave him, I came back like two days later and I gave him all the money. And so he didn't see like, whoa, this is such a good band. Like we got to get him in all the time. What he saw was, whoa, these guys can draw 70 people a show. And, and reality is, I, I mean, we did draw 70, but I, I had to buy them all. Um, but that first show really solidified kind of our work ethic and our, and our drive to want to do this. So that guy ended up becoming uh, our manager like, probably four or five months later. And uh, through that, everyone would call him and try to bring bands to our city. And he would always say, well, you have to play with with my band. And then you had to take them out for a few days. So that was kind of how we got started. And uh, I, that's a pretty thorough explanation, man. We, we went a long time. <laughs> yeah, we got a, a good rundown on it. Super, super, super interesting. Might have been too much. Was it too much? No, I think it was spot on. <laughs> I don't think there's ever too much when you're going through your backstory. I don't know. Some, and, sometimes it's like, I mean, you have, you have to be careful because sometimes it's like not everyone cares about every little new, like the magic thing, <laughs> we can maybe cut that, but you can keep it in. I love it. I'm just messing around. Um, I want to jump to one kind of moment in that story in particular, which is when you were switching from screamo to, to more pop music. Yeah. Um, you said it was partially because of, of, no pun intended, the popularity um and the listenership and and just kind of how you could move into the mainstream with it um what made you pick screamo to start and was there an emotional aspect to the decision to switch um was it a harder decision or was it really as simple as like oh let's let's make pop music well i've never articulated this on purpose so that that this will be a brand new thought um but i can i can do it I, i know why I I think considering the people who support me more than the people who don't know who I am was the direction I started to go was I wanted to share st- stuff with people without having to get past the first barrier of who is this guy. And so all the people I was sharing my music with uh and I'm I'm a very I'm an old soul. Uh I, don't, I think that's the right way to say it. Uh, in that, I I grew up with a my sister is ten years older than me, and I grew up. I did everything with her like that. She 
when I was a when I was a baby, she was ten, and instead of her buying a Cabbage Patch doll, she had me. She would carry me around, and so I'm sure she was a huge help to my mom. I have a my daughter turned seven today, and you know if we had a little baby hanging around, I'm sure she'd just adore it and be so nice. And 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 that's what I grew up with was someone that was ten years older than me, just like taking me everywhere and like you know, showing me scary movies when I was 10 years old and she was 20 and being like, Hey, this stuff can't scare you. Like this, this stuff can't scare you, but you shouldn't let it, don't let it dictate your life. And like, those are, those are like things I've taken my whole life. Like things don't, things that can't hurt me, don't scare me. And if they do not things that hurt me, but in general, if I feel scared, it's like a, Ooh, I should, I should look into this more. You know, I kind of have this thing ingrained in me. So the, I was showing my music to those people who I, who I really loved and respected and adored and they were kind of like, oh, yeah, it's cool. And I could tell that, like, all right, this is, uh, I could do better. I want to make music that the people who know me really enjoy. And furthermore, the real answer to your question, though, is I think it was insecurity. And not that screamo music breeds insecurity. Don't, don't, uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, don't quote me as saying that. What I mean is I was a kid, and I it, imagine the feeling of singing for the first time. Like I'd never, I never like really sang in front of people and I was scared of it and I wasn't sure if I was good, but it's, there's a pretty easy formula to learn how to scream. And that's, that, that's like an easy thing to hide behind on stage. I just, you know, rah, you know, go, go crazy at it. So there's a little bit of insecurity, maybe even some laziness to want to learn how to sing. But when I transitioned and I was like, I, I remember I asked like six people like, does this sound okay? Can I sing? And they're like, yeah, it sounds great. And I was like, oh, really? It's like, okay, I can. I guess I just need to work on this. But yeah, I, I think that's why we started with. And, and man, don't hear me say screamo's easy because it's not. It is insanely hard. And I think once I learned vocal technique and how to sing, then I had even more respect for what we were doing. We weren't. We weren't a good band in high school, so it's not. I'm not knocking other bands, but yeah, it, it was literally just insecurity and, and, and maybe some laziness and wanting to learn my craft. So, um, also wanting the people I love the most to enjoy what I was doing with me. I'm such a collaborative soul as well. Like that's everything I've ever done has been with my friends. That's what I want to do. Yeah. That's an incredibly insightful response. I think the idea of making something and, and people around you almost being able to tell when it's authentic or fully authentic or whether there's something there um, that isn't fully coming through is like an underrated superpower yeah. and being able to like be aware of when people are interpreting your work that way. Um, and then also like having the intelligence to be like, these are people who I do respect the opinion yeah. of and like who do know me and, and what I'm able to create um, and kind of like taking their feedback and adapting to it, but also not adapting to like everything everyone yeah. ever tells you is is a hard balance to strike. Um, so that's incredibly interesting. I wanted to move a little bit towards crypto here. Okay. Um, how did you find crypto? How did it come across your radar? What drew you to it originally? Um, it was, I can't remember what year, but ETH was really cheap and I had, I, had, I think I invested $1,700 into ETH when it was under 1000 or something like that. Basically, my investment was a, was a couple years before the NFT boom. And I had a buddy tell me about Bitcoin and about 
um, some other stuff, and I just I took this stance of it's not for me. I didn't say it's not real. I just said, you know, I think it's great, and I love that you're doing it, but I'm kind of caught up in some of the stuff I'm doing, and I don't have the margin to learn it, and I was really confused by it. And then I watched it pass me by, and I was like, what is this? And it wasn't even necessarily a money thing. I was like, this is a movement. And I think all great artists and and people of influence who who do great things are all bred, mostly all bred out of a moment, out of a out of a movement. And I didn't know that. I wasn't looking for that. And I'm still necessarily not looking for that. But it's it is something interesting. And there have been many times when I've said it's just like the screamo thing I was talking about, man. Like where I've said, you know, I don't, uh, I don't understand this. I don't know what it is, and I think I'm going to sit out this one. And I made a commitment after I watched a lot of my friends who were in crypto do really well, and they were having a good time. It wasn't that they're doing well financially; it's that they're having a good time. And I was like, ah, oh, what am I missing here? And I made a decision, like a conscious decision. I think I wrote it down somewhere that. If something ever makes me feel the same way I felt when I was introduced to Bitcoin, I promise to see it through 100%. I promise to figure it out and and get rid of the feeling of confusion. And that's what I did. I heard about um, NFTs and I literally told, I can't remember who was telling me, but I just said, that sounds so dumb. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. And then I, I was like, uh-oh, I just said the, I said the words. I did what I said that if I do, I have to go research it. So I, I, I did, I went and I researched it and found out more and over like four hours, I, w- I was at work one day and I was waiting on videos to render. And when videos are rendering, it's like, it's the worst, man. You got to find, like, better pick up magic again or something. Um, yeah, so I was just reading about NFTs and the blockchain and trying to understand it more. And I decided to make my own NFT via OpenSea and... Um, the wallet that wasn't MetaMask, I just, I had taken some photos of this black widow and I put them together and I was like, I don't know, let's, let's just see what happens. I think it cost me like $400 to make this one NFT and I put it up for sale to see if it would sell. I was like, why not? Let's see what happens. And it sold for $1 million. I'm just kidding. You should see, everyone should see your face right now. Uh, no, nobody, it didn't sell at all. Like it, you know, just, it just, sat, it's still in my, in my main wallet. And I, I added this little like, uh, hidden message in there and it's like the way I live my life and the way I'd recommend everyone lives their life like the key to life is hidden inside the metadata of my nft but I made it just to see what it was like and no one ever bought it still in my wallet I don't intend to it's not a thing I was trying to to sell necessarily but because of that I was primed and ready to to jump on something I thought, okay I understand it now there's no one in the space right now that I want to like make a play on I don't I'm good. I'm going to sit on my Ethereum, which had accumulated to about 12 grand, maybe, maybe 14 grand actually from my initial $1,700 investment. And I think it was a month later or two weeks late, three weeks later that Gary V announced his project. And I was like, okay, this is a guy that I followed for a while. I've been connected to some of his people. Uh, one of his assistants back in the day kind of helped me get a current job that I, I still have. So it's like this, this is a no brainer. So I, uh, bought at the top I think it was uh ETH was four grand at the time bro um and I bought a a black cat which is like the logo of V friends and that was my first ever mint and I spent like eighty five hundred dollars on it maybe more I can't remember exactly and it's two and a half ethereum yeah so that would be uh 10k and I did not feel good did not feel good about it I was scared to death I was like what have I done 
And um, yeah, I mean, I, that was my first one. And then from there, I was like, hey, do you want to get a bored ape? I was like, nah, I want to get one of these uh, these Arabian camels instead. And uh, you make you make hits, you make misses, and uh, but really, it's it's all about the friends you make along the way, is what is what I decided. And uh, here we are, you and me. Look at us go. What was your first mint? I've never heard that. Thingdoms. Ah, I love it. Yeah, love yeah. It. it uh, it was actually Thingdoms. I uh, had been in NFTs. I actually had found out about NFTs in the Crypto Kitty days. Um, like way, way, way back. Like it would have been 2016, 2017. I had friends that were building uh, NFT blockchain startups like back in 2016. Um, and so when we heard about CryptoKitties and, and I had a bunch of friends in VC, we all kind of laughed. They got an absurd amount of money. It was, I think like either six or 60 million. It was, it was large. Um, and we all kind of laughed and went, wow, for, you know, essentially the dragon breeding game that you have on your iPhone. Um, like that's not the craziest thing in the world. And then um, some entrepreneurs that were tangential to me started their own. So I had seen it, but I, I never saw the value. And I was always kind of laughing at it. Um, had seen Bitcoin as well, and I kind of understood that a little bit more, but never put money in. And then uh, it fell off my radar for, you know, two, three years, um, starting in like 2020. Um, I came across this podcast, I forget what it's called, but it used to be hosted on a website called TechMeme, which is like a tech news yeah, aggregator. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, that was diving into like DeFi um, and NFTs occasionally and art occasionally. And they just kind of brought in all sorts of different perspectives. And I started listening to it. And for some reason, that second time in 2020, the NFT stuff clicked. And I was like, oh, it's like we've created an ecosystem for digital art. Um, but then yet again, didn't do anything with it. Um, so then it, it took all the way up until essentially December of 21 for me to finally ever actually get into the game. So a good time though. Um, so long story. Yeah, it's a good time though. Like that was, that was such a fun bull run that we were in. Thingdoms dropped right on that bull run and it was so yeah. fun. And people were, were like eager to be engaged. And you know, I, I think the intentionality with the community was there with it is there still with thingdoms and and that's but th that's that's the that's the best part of all of it but it takes people so long to realize that you almost have to be beaten down to a point where you're like well all i've got is is uh this thing here and and these other things over here and like they're not really worth much anymore it's like yeah now you're gonna get it like you need to be broken in order to get what this is all about and uh i, I think that that december you know november december january run where things were just popping like crazy I remember thinking like some of these, some of these that are popping, like have no business popping. It's just because we're like in yeah. a unique moment in time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good time to get in. So, so what else, where, where did you go from there? What did you mean after Thingdoms? Honestly, like not a crazy amount of stuff. I got some Obey stuff. Yeah. Um, I like Obey. I've always been like into the brand. Um, I like Shepherd Fairy and, and you know, quote unquote street art uh, or vandalism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, above. And then of course, like there's the whole punk ethos of Obey um, that I think also is, is very similar to just like the ethos of decentralization yeah. in general. Um, and I think like a lot of the similar brands and people that are kind of 
in that that system of of thinking and streetwear and or like creative production at all um have similar like ideological ties to to just crypto as a space yeah um and then you know a couple things here and there from people in the the community like our our man t-shirt bob yep um but other than that you know keeping it pretty low-key i do remember uh right after minting thingdoms uh maybe like a day or two later i was going through twitter this was like my first mint i was super excited getting into the community like unbelievable experience the first time you mint and and go into a project like that especially in december at the peak of like the nft hype yep um so i was like really really into it and i just saw like a random tweet that was a free mint and i was like oh free mint like i gotta get it so i just minted this like random cat none of them had been like minted yet i still think only like four or five hundred out of like the ten thousand have been minted, and it cost me like 60 bucks in gas um and that was also a learning experience of like things like thingdoms things that you really love um that's the spaces to be chasing like the freemints and i mean freemints can be good don't get me right, wrong right but, um, sometimes chasing stuff because we yeah, could talk about that later sometimes. it's it's a double-edged sword <laughs> I've, I've i've been there and back i've just dis- i've discovered it but uh yeah no yeah. I, I think you're right it's yeah it's it's not about chasing yeah is essentially i think where but I that's what like 80 percent of the people that. do is they chase and it's sad and i yeah. think that's what kind of brings that's what brings us to the bear market are the people chasing because they're just flipping for the chance to mint again. It's gambling and it's kind of scary, you know? Think Thingdoms mm-hmm. was never a gamble for anybody. It was like, this this is already here. It already makes sense. And you can see guys like Luke and Owen taking a brand like this and going crazy with it. It's like, this is obvious, this isn't a gamble. But all these other free mints and things like that, sometimes they, they tend to be, and some people treated Thingdoms like a gamble. I mean, look at Angry Face, that, that's what he did. Um, <laughs> But it's give us the the ten second too long didn't read on ten angry second. Face I think I think that's what around. we should shift into. This whole thing should be about angry face, <laughs> and then you have the exclusive surprise. This was the documentary. Let's all call along. it. Let's call it. Let's do it. I, I'll give away. We'll we'll give away the angry face thing at the end of this. Also, why not? I'll tell you what oh happened. My. Oh my. Uh, no, I think uh, I can actually. I can I can circle up the angry face thing in probably five minutes. But I so me and Mr. Q did record two segments. Um, it probably would make no sense now. That was so long ago um, regarding Angry Face. But uh, I would say, like, I, I felt bad for him because he missed it. Like, that's that's the truth. He missed the whole essence of it. And I've talked to him. I, I found him. We talked. And he didn't agree to, to let me interview him. I tried really hard. Um, but basically, uh, his name, Angry Face's name is uh, Debug. And I don't know if he's in the chat anymore, but you can look up his name and see all the things he said. Uh, and Debug found a wallet, uh, not a wallet, a Discord exploit. I guess Luke had made one invite that was like unlimited for friends to be able to come into the server. And and it was only active for like a day and before, before Luke uh, removed it. And Angry Face exploited that and he made 50 Discord accounts and got all of them OG rolls. And through that, he got to mint with 50 different wallets and then just started dumping them on Genie XYZ as quick as he could. And that's literally it. That's that's the story of Angry Face. And I just wanted to know why. I was like, why'd you do it? I mean, obviously it was to make money, but like certainly you saw more value than just like a quick flip, right? And, and he, he was like, 
he was pretty, he was pretty cool about it all. Like I couldn't believe he was talking to me because I found him by corresponding the wallet address on the white list, which he deleted so he could cover his track. So I was like, okay, uh, this is, this is definitely the guy. And, uh, yeah, that whole thing was so fun. He ended up sending me uh, a thing because I was like, let's turn this into a good thing. This isn't a bad <laughs> thing. You know, he's bringing volume, whatever. And uh, so I still have Angry Faces thing, and I'd love to give it away. So let's let's give it away at the end of the show. Okay. You in? There you go. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. We'll find some way. Yeah. Um, watch in the chat. We'll find we're, some way to give it away. We're watching the chat. You're ready. We're watching the chat right now. This is like Be Love on the radio, like the the types of mind games you were able to play with the chat on. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think we should just step back for a second. Run us through like how you got into connection with the Thingdom team, how you contributed to the project. Like give us the early sure. days of that relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So preface this with if you tell me, if you're a, if you're a friend of mine, which I have a lot of friends and, and I'm looking for more always. Um, if you tell me that you want to do something, if you identify a dream in your heart of hearts, if you're like, I really want to do this. And you tell me that I promise you, I don't know why I don't know how it always happens, but something will show up in my life that will make me think of you. And I'll call you and be like, let's go. Hey, I got, I'm just, I guess my point is, I'm always looking for opportunities that that my friends and I can win together. And winning just means sharing joy. That's all it means. It means like we had a great time and it's a story we can talk about our entire lives. So if you identify that you want to do something to me, I almost always am going to push you towards it. So uh, it's so for Thingdoms in general, me and Luke met in Subducts. We worked on some projects together. I wrote some music. He put some video to it. And um, I liked him a whole lot. Like he was just such a cool dude. And we ended up, uh, I don't think we video chatted. I think we just voice chatted for Doodles. When Doodles launched, him and I had our own little private chat. Scrappy was in there for a bit with us. And um, we were just talking, like, what are we going to do? Like, what's, the, okay, the floor's at 0.75. Like, should we sell one at 1 ETH just to make sure we get our money back? You know, we were, we were like, talking this whole thing. And, just, and honestly, just through through Doodles, honestly, we, we became friends is, is how we were already friends. But, but we had a common bond in Doodles. And, um, and yeah, I remember when he expressed to me that he was thinking about starting a project and my first thing was like, yeah, why wouldn't you, you know? So he, he identified to me that he wanted to, and then he showed me his preliminary sketches of, of thingdoms and which none of them look anything like what thingdoms are, but they were all awesome. And thingdoms is like, it's what he went with is just, it was the perfect thing to go with, but he was like, what do you think about these? Which one would you say? I was like, dude, I, all of them, they're great. I don't know. Pick one. Like I, like if, if you want to start a project, like any one of these would be great for that. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm a hype man. That's like, I, I hope my, my legacy thus far is I'm a hype man. And I do, I, I want to do that for the rest of my life. I want to hype man my friends and, and help them in any way, shape or form I can. And uh, so, yeah, we started talking about his project and then he introduced me to Owen and we had a video chat and they're like we want you to be part of it man and I was like I literally said and I said on the very first day because there was no thing FM there was no radio idea they had this fully mapped out thing which still there's there's what's amazing about Luke and Owen is is they've they've thought about they thought about years down the road not just weeks and I've, I've chatted with other projects who have thought about weeks and that's that's it so what was laid out to me 
uh, has all had, like it's all trajecting that direction still. Like there's been, like the pivots have been just added value here. Like, oh, here's here's Vayner Sports. I, I would imagine those are pivots just because they're great collaboration opportunities. But but there's still, like I, I know I know a little bit more than the average person about Thingdoms and the stuff that's coming up and the things that they're still building that takes, you know, technologically savvy people to do is super exciting. And when I heard it, I was like, yeah, this super, why wouldn't I want to be part of this? Let's, let's go. Um, but I literally said to them, I said, I would love to help out in any way I can. You just tell me what to do, but there's not enough for me to do to justify being part of the team. You know, like I, I would, I will go in like, shoot me a discord link. I'll go chat. I'll be a keeper of, of the, of the, you know, positivity. I'll talk with people and hang out. But like, you know, obviously until there's like a real need, there's no need to like bring me on to, to the team. And they're like, well, we, we just want you around, man. I was like, okay, well, I'll be around. Let's do it. So I, I jumped into the Thingdoms discord for the first time and there's already several people in there. I was like, this is cool. Like, it wasn't just people I was used to. It was, it was new people, and I don't. I still have no idea how some of you guys found Thingdoms, which is super cool. Uh, which we should probably get into that someday or somehow. But yeah, we um, we we just started chatting and having fun, and it was like really working. And I think it was a guy named Miracle who said something like, "You guys should put a radio station in here." And and Luke, he said it to Luke, and Luke hit me up and was like, "Hey, I got an idea." could you record some like drive time ads, some weather ads? I was like, yeah, what, what that's, that's right up my alley. Happy to help. What do you, what do you need? You know, he's like, well, just like uh, good morning drive time. You're listening to thing FM. And then like, maybe just like a quick weather update. And uh, the back, the real backstory here too, is about two weeks ago, Mr. So Mr. Q lives in my neighborhood. The guy that plays Terry, he plays everybody. Um, JP plays Dwight list. And, um, E-man's uh, calculator guy, but, but Terry and everyone else, um, comes from Mr. Q and they all live in my neighborhood and we walk like a block to the studio. The studio is attached to our neighborhood. So it's a lot of fun. And he, uh, he's a touring, like he, he tours with, with famous bands and does their guitar tech for him. And he also owns a music shop and, and works on amps. And you'd think that'd be like, that'd be heaven on earth. But, but sometimes it's not always like, it's a hard, it's a hard job. Like he's on, he's on tour and like has to skip lunch like three days in a row because he's working so hard. And I'm like, gosh, you know, some people wish their whole lives they could go on tour. And it's like, yeah, it's not as, it's not as luxurious as you think. But I asked him like two weeks prior to Luke saying, can you record some radio ads? I was like, what do you want to do? Like, just pretend you're a kid, Mark. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, what? what do you want to do with your life? Like if there's one thing that you could do for the rest of your life that would fulfill you forever, what would it be? And he was like, I want to be a voice actor so bad. I was like, dude, you'd be so good at it. Cause even our neighborhood, like I'll, I'll give, I'll just walk by and be like, give me this impression. He'll crush it every time, you know? So he told me that and it stuck in my brain. And then Luke said, let's start a radio station. Could you record a few ads? I was like, done. So I hung up with Luke. I called Mark. I was like, meet me in the studio. So we started, we, we just did the, the, um, the weather report and we're sitting in there and I was like, this could be, this could probably be more. I was like, what if what do you want to, cause okay. So the other part of that too, is I had, I had been doing 
I do radio ads for businesses in Oklahoma, and one of the the one that you guys would know would be Hacienda Tacos. Like that's a real business, that's a real thing. I I gave Luke a Hacienda Tacos hat in L.A. Like it was a, it was such a cool moment for me to be able to be like, hey, here's a Hacienda Tacos hat. But I'd been doing this, and I could not believe people were letting me do this on the radio. Like my my instruction for Hacienda Tacos the first time, like it was five years ago. They're like, we need an ad. We bought ad space. We don't have anything to promote. And I was like, what do you, what's your special? And they're like, well, we have like $4 uh, beer. I was like, that's a terrible special. I'm like, yeah, but we have, we have a radio ad. We need to record something. I was like, well, can I, do I have free reign to do whatever I want? And they're like, yeah. So I did this ad that was like this guy talking to his dad about the birds and the bees. And it was so dumb, but it was like, Tim, I was like, this is funny to me. And if I heard this on the radio, I would stop and listen versus anything else I ever hear on the radio. So I did it. And I promise you any other moment, any other time, they'd be like, we can't run this like this, this, we can't do this, but nobody, there was no time to approve it. Like I was, I was saving them. They were like, we have to have an ad. And I was like, you got it, but you can't, you can't give me feedback on it. You had to let me push, push it out. So that ad got put out. Um, and dude, it was like, it was huge. People were like, what is this? I've never heard an ad like this. And the radio station was calling me or like, Hey, uh, can we get your contact? People were wanting to know who did that ad. And I was like, yes, thank you. Finally. Because like that had been my humor for a long time, but I, I never knew if anyone else resonated. And then I found out this was like five years ago, like, man, there is, there's a good sector of people who get it. And, uh, and Mark had helped me with a lot of those ads, Mr. Q had. So he, he'd been in there doing it with me and we just improv together and come up with ads. So fast forward to thing FM, I was like, Hey, what if we did like a, like a Hacienda ad, but like a fake one for, I, I don't know, like, let's like pick someone in the community and make them have something. And he was like, all right. And I was like, right, here's Gom Gom. He's been here the whole time. He's primed to be a mod and, and eventually work for Thingdoms. You can see it already. No, I said, so let's make him have a burger shop. It'd be fun. So we, we just improved a burger shop ad and there was no, like, there was no foresight to be like, yeah, burger water is going to be a hit, man. It was like, I honestly was like, let's see if anybody thinks it's funny. And we did like, Thingsburg diamonds, thingaroni and cheese. We just did dumb stuff. And then and then I I hit up Luke and I was like, hey, so what do you think if we started playing fake ads for fake businesses? And he was like, Yeah, of course. Like, that's a great idea. And I was like, okay, here's some ads we cut. And he was like, Yes, like let's make it, let's do it. You know. So he he was he, Luke's a green light guy, you know. He's like, Yeah, go. Let's let's make it happen. What can I do? I'm the I'm the same way. So that that was how it started, was I, I attribute it to one miracle was like, let's make a radio station. And then Luke had the idea to, to put original content on there. And then Mark had told me I want to be a voice actor. And I was like, Mark wants to be a voice actor. Let's do stuff that requires voice acting. And, uh, and that's, that's the genesis of, of thing FM. And I don't think the first, yeah, the first Gom Gom burger ad had nothing to do with burger water. We just made a second one and, and it was improv. We said burger water and, uh, then it took off. And then I remember I had the idea, the melody for Scrappy's Pickle came to my head and I was like, I got to go lay it down. And this was a weird time in our house. My wife was like, what are you doing? Like, what is this stuff? You know? And I was like, nah, it's, it's just fun. I'm sorry. I'm just having a good time. And she was like, okay, okay. I just, I don't understand it, but like, if you're having a good time, I love it. So yeah, we just kept going. And whenever we saw the community like something, we just was like, all right, let's do it again. Let's do something else. So it just kept happening. And, and that's, I think the Genesis, that's the the most the most thorough Genesis story of, of Thing FM from the beginning that I can think of. Yeah, I think I think that's it. 
Yeah, I think my my main philosophy, my main premise for Thing FM the whole time, and I say my when anytime I say my, you can substitute the word our. Like it's it's not singularly me ever ever in anything I've ever done. Um, but what we wanted to do collectively with Thing FM was make people feel needed and known. That was every time we went live on the radio. Before we go on, we talk about it. Like we're going to call out people's names. We're going to let them hear their own name on the radio. We want it to feel nostalgic. We want them to feel needed and known. And, and that was it. And it totally worked. And, and when I go back into thing FM and listen, and I go look at the chat, even today, you know, DJ's the vibe master, the vibe controller. He's doing that still. He's still making people feel needed and known. And that's not, I'm not saying that he did that because of, of me or because of Mr. Q or because of Luke. I think that's, that's like, I'm not even saying I dictated that culture. What I'm saying is that culture was present already. And all we did was like feed into it. But that was the intentionality was Let's make people feel needed and known in a place where they normally wouldn't. Let's let's try and do it. So that's this house started. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed part one of my two-part interview with B Love. If you'd like to connect with B Love, you can find them on Twitter at Brandon Lovelights. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can also find me on Twitter at it's Luca WM. I'd like to extend a huge thank you to B Love, not only for joining me on this show but for everything that he has done for this community. The Thingdom would not be the same without Thing FM. And as always, a huge thank you to this entire community. None of this is possible without you and your support continues to mean the world. Stay thingy, do good things, and I'll see you next week.